Welcome to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Brian McDonough, and with me is a very interesting guest. Now, he is a cardiologist, and we're going to talk a lot about the heart, heart issues, and practicing medicine. But it's a very interesting guest I have. It's Dr. Andrew Wexler. Dr. Wexler is a cardiologist outside of Philadelphia, but he also is the nephew of a very famous comedian. And that comedian is Joan Rivers, and it has had an impact on his practice, and it's had an impact maybe on her life as well, because her father was a primary care physician. So for a bunch of us listening who are physicians in primary care, this is actually really interesting to see almost three generations of, of how this has impacted people. So first of all, Dr. Wexler, welcome to the program. Well, thank you for having me. It's, it's a pleasure to be on this program. My first question, and I think it's an important one that I want to ask you, is what's it like being the nephew of Joan Rivers. Did you know her well? Did you have an opportunity to talk with her on many occasions? It was a lot of fun to be the nephew of Joan Rivers when I was young and uh, as a teenager, etc. My my wife, who with whom I've been married for 24 years, used to say it's a fun fact. It doesn't change our life, but it's kind of a, a neat thing. In my 30s and 40s, as I had little kids and I was trying to build my career, I probably saw her once or twice a year. But then in the last five to seven years, I sort of reconnected with her. I never lost connection with her, but I would probably see her twice a year for those busy years, more because of my schedule than hers, frankly. But, you know, it was neat to grow up in that family. Her sister, my mother, the two of them were, were sort of big into girl power and really did a lot of things in the 1950s in Manhattan. My mother was one of the first women to go to Columbia Law School. I used to always say that my mother used to be the star of the family, and then uh, Aunt Joan sort of passed her. But their dad, my maternal grandfather, was a PCP before they called him PCPs. He was, you know, they would call him a sort of a general practitioner back in Brooklyn in the 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s. And then actually my father, who's obviously not genetically in that same tree, but my father was a cardiologist. So I've sort of been bombarded by... Um, professional people, and I definitely inherited the sense of humor from my grandfather and my mother and my aunt. Did you have an opportunity to know your grandfather while he was alive? I did. My grandfather died in 1985. I was a freshman in college, but I did get to know him for a few of my younger years and early teenage years, of course. And uh, he is very, very funny. He was, he was a, just a funny, sort of sarcastic guy. Time doesn't permit to tell some stories, but suffice it to say, my Aunt Joan got his sense of humor. The personality trait of having a sense of humor carries you through many situations, and I would think as a primary care doc, it really helped him deal with sometimes difficult situations or just a long day for people coming in in, in a practice. I know we have a lot of listeners, primary care docs, who, you know, sense of humor gets you through a lot of things. He was beloved by his patients, and it was it was the old days, and they would literally say, uh, Dr. Malinsky, I can't pay you, and he would say, oh, don't worry about it, and they would bring him a pie or something like that. So, I mean, you know, the good old days that you hear about and read about, that was my grandfather in Brooklyn. You know, he was sort of, I won't use the word legendary, that's kind of a strong word, but he was pretty well known in Brooklyn as a good, honest, nice family practice doc who took good care of his patients and, you know, didn't care if you could pay or not. Now, my mother used to say that her mother, Barb and Joan's mother, used to pull her hair out because, you know, they couldn't pay the bills because my grandfather didn't care. He wasn't really very good at billing. He wouldn't do well in today's day and age where we're all being held accountable for doing paperwork and billing. You know, it's interesting because your Aunt Joan, I mean, just my knowledge of her, she did very well outside of being a comedian. She 
not only, as you say, was a trailblazer as a woman at a time when it was hard to be a female comedian, and there's been many stories about that and the path she had to blaze, but also in her later years with QVC and her products and things and, and, and moving on to E! Entertainment Network, she really became quite a business unto herself. Yes. No, my aunt was quite a spark plug and really it sort of rose like a phoenix from at least two, if not three times that looked like her career was pretty much over. And she remade herself. You know, the one cool thing about my aunt that most people don't know is she was into physical fitness way before anybody else was. Well, I shouldn't say that, but way before it became sort of popular and cool. And, you know, she never made an exercise video, but, you know, apparently she would get up at six in the morning and work out with a personal trainer and all that. And again, she never told anybody this. My mother used to say, what the heck's wrong with you? What are you doing? But so, you know, my aunt was all about fitness. And, and so I'm certainly no physical fitness specimen by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just a regular guy, but I do try to be proactive with my health and use some of the lessons from my aunt. You know, she actually was very good about taking care of herself and you know, I try to use some of that in talking to patients. I'm Dr. Brian McDonough. My guest is Dr. Andrew Waxler, and we are talking right now about his aunt, Joan Rivers, and how it's relating to patients. You know, I actually saw your aunt perform once in Las Vegas when I was probably 13 or 14 years old. I went out there with my father, and I remember because she that was at a point where she was very on the top of her game, as you say, up and down. It was one of the times she was on the top. She was appearing in Vegas, and, and I remember being 13 or 14, and for whatever reason, it was really funny, but I remember her, she did this routine, and it was medical, about going in for a pelvic examination. And she had this routine where she talked about it, and she was up on the chair, and she was up on the stirrups, and she said the doctor left the room, and the door was wide open, and she was there, and, and she said, and this man walked by and went, hey, Joan, I didn't know you'd be here. <laughs> it was just Yeah, so... right, I remembered you from high school, yeah, <laughs> yeah no, so that it... was definitely part of her routine, for sure. And it's funny um... when you hear that, because she made like a very intimate and private moment really funny in, in a comedic sense, which at that time, I now look back at it, you're, you're talking about the 70s. That was very progressive for that time. The one thing about my aunt is a trailblazer is uh, she broke every stereotype and talked about whatever she wanted. She was good friends with George Carlin, and her her mentor was a guy named Lenny Bruce. So these were people that that was their shtick. But in terms of my family and heart disease, my grandfather actually had a heart attack at age 74, and my grandmother actually died suddenly of Takasubo's cardiomyopathy, broken heart syndrome. So there is some heart disease that runs in our family, and, and so, you know, that does kind of bring us full circle yeah. about, uh, you know, heart disease. Is that what got you interested in, in becoming a cardiologist? We were talking a little before the program began, and not only are you practicing cardiology, but you teach medical students, trained at Penn. You, you've had a very serious and continue a very serious career, all things aside about family connections. What was it that got you to be focusing on cardiology? Was it those family events? I know you mentioned, I believe you said your dad was cardiologist as well. Yeah, what really got me into cardiology, I think, was my father died young, and I kind of followed in his footsteps. And it's funny, I always sort of had this bias because of my father, but then when I was at Penn Medical School, that was actually the thing that interested me the most. So I like to think that maybe I was subconsciously influenced, but I like to think that I did make a conscious decision. But in terms of moving up to the present day, in terms of 
what we face today, you know, you and I, you as a primary care physician and uh, all of our listeners, uh, you know, coronary disease is just is, is just such a big thing that we all deal with. As I said, my, my grandfather did have a myocardial infarction. So I think that I really like to take care of coronary disease because it is such a prevalent and devastating disease and we can make such a big difference in that regard. I did a television series years ago, and I'm sure this part of it hasn't changed, but I asked about 25 different cardiologists. I interviewed them all and said, what is the one thing you would tell people to change if they could? And they all said, don't smoke, don't smoke, don't smoke. So when we get past don't smoke, which is obviously a crucial part of heart disease, what are the suggestions when we get somebody in our exam room and we have a few minutes to talk with them and try to get some advice. What things do you tell your patients about the heart and ways to stay heart healthy and get them to think about it seriously? Well, again, don't smoke, as you've already said. Eat a balanced diet, such as a Mediterranean diet. Eat smaller portions. Go for a walk every day. Try to be proper in terms of your weight. But see your doctor. See your primary care physician. That's very important. Get checkups. We call hypertension the silent killer for obvious reasons. But similarly, hypercholesterolemia and to some extent diabetes, obviously when people really have diabetes in a bad way, it causes a lot of symptoms. But diabetes can be silent. Hypertension, high cholesterol can be silent. Even coronary disease starts out silently. We've known for decades that back in the Korean War and the Vietnam War, these young healthy guys that happened to be shot in a war, they were in the wrong place at the wrong time, actually a lot of them had early coronary disease. So it is important to work on prevention as, a, as an individual patient, but it's also important to see your physician. And frankly, if I can go one step further, to report any suspicious symptoms, chest discomfort, shortness of breath, anything like that. And those so, ty- so it's yeah. about prevention, but also early diagnosis. Now, you hear a lot of people, you know, obviously they talk about family history, and we all know we need to worry about family history. You know firsthand about family history. So what steps do you take in your own life that you have done to try to give yourself the best chance to obviously beat the odds? Well, I try to do all of those things I mentioned a moment ago. Uh, I don't smoke. I try to keep the proper weight. With the help of my wife, I'm trying to eat a better diet. I try to walk every day and, and that kind of thing. But, you know, Dr. McDonough, I think it's important that we point out that if a person starts having any discomfort in their chest, that, you know, people worry about pain. I always tell patients it's not pain. It's more of a tightness or heaviness or pressure. Patients have any discomfort in their chest or any unexplained shortness of breath doing simple activities, they really should report that to their doctor and, and get evaluated. I think that's as important as prevention is. Yeah, and the denial mechanism, though. You know, I'm, I'm now at the age where I have a lot of friends, you know, and they'll come up to me, like, indirectly, and they'll say, you know, I've been feeling that. I'm like, well, you got to get checked out. Oh, no, I really don't want to because they're going to make a big deal about it. And, you know, I right. say the same thing, but so, there is that innate they're, – they're reaching out, clearly, and they're even reaching out at a social setting – but deep down, they want help, but they're afraid. So you're right. A lot of people are reluctant to be evaluated. They're afraid of what we might find, but they're also afraid of the tests. So one test that I've discovered in the last three to four years that I've found helpful is this relatively new CORUS, C-O-R-U-S, CORUS C-A-D blood test. It's a simple blood draw. It's a non-fasting blood test that once a patient has symptoms, it's not a screening tool. But once a patient has chest discomfort or shortness of breath or even jaw discomfort, left arm discomfort, anything that could be cardiac, it's this this non-fasting blood test that you get a, a score back in about three days, and it's a score from 1 to 40. It's very simple for the cardiologist, for the PCP, for the patient himself or herself to understand. It's really, I don't play golf. I'm one of the few cardiologists who doesn't know how to play golf, but it's like golf in the sense that lower is better. 
we all know golf scores are you want them to be low. So the core score, anything less than 15 on a scale from 1 to 40, is great news. It's got a 96% negative predictive value. You've basically, essentially, with almost 100%, you know, again, technically 96% is the magic number that was found in the Compass study, you've really almost ruled out coronary disease. And, you know, this is very helpful for a, a busy PCP and for the patient himself or herself if, if the person's having some vague chest discomfort or vague shortness of breath and you kind of think, I'm not really sure what to make of this, you send off one of these blood tests. If it's negative, you're done. And if it's intermediate to high, then either you get a stress test or you send the patient to the cardiologist. So it's kind of, I've learned it's a good sort of first step triage, but I'm not sure that it's gotten the publicity that it deserves. So I've used that as a way to sort of streamline the evaluation of these symptoms. And again, that's not as intimidating to patients. Dr. McDonough, you phrased the question as, you know, you think that perhaps the patients are not enthusiastic about getting evaluated. And again, part of it is fear of the testing. But this is a blood test. I mean, nobody's mm-hmm. really afraid of getting a blood test, I would think. Maybe my teenage daughter, but other than that. <laughs> That's right. They're afraid of that. We only have time for about one more question. Is there something I didn't bring up that you would like to talk about that you really think we should add before the program ends? I think it's important that we as physicians develop a rapport with our patients and and really, you know, can have a heart-to-heart conversation, no pun intended, with our patients because coronary disease is by far the number one killer out there in PCPs. You know, you guys as PCPs have the hardest job because you have to know a little bit about everything. And and, uh, as I said, my grandfather was a PCP and I have the most highest respect for the PCP, but let's not lose sight of the number one killer and that's coronary disease. And people can present with atypical symptoms. You know, a lot of people get diagnosed with asthma or reflux that really have angina. So I would say be honest with the patient, talk to the patient, and if there's any suspicion, think about this blood test or think about a stress test or think about referring to the cardiologist. In other words, you know, really sort of have coronary disease, heart disease on your radar and that'll go a long way. Dr. Randall Wexler, I want to thank you. We talked about some serious issues. Started off light. I want to end it light as well. What would be your favorite joke of your aunt? You probably heard a lot over the years. What's your favorite joke she had? My favorite joke or my favorite story? Favorite story. We have time for that. That's fine. Do I have a minute for a favorite story? Absolutely. So when she was first starting out, either she didn't have a manager or she had a manager who wasn't very sharp. And she went to play this comedy club somewhere in the state of New York. And the owner of the comedy club told her, uh, I'm not going to pay you a salary, but rather I'm going to pay you a percentage so that if we have a full audience, you and I will both benefit. And my aunt told me that she thought that was wonderful. That sounded fair to her. So the first night she looked out and it was standing room only. The place was packed. So she said to the owner, this is a great night. This is great for both of us. Aren't we both, you know, this is going to be a home run for us. And he said, hold your horses there, young lady. A lot of those people out there are journalists, and I let them in for free, and you don't get a cut of that. So a lot of the people out there don't count for your cut. So most people would just say whatever and walk away. Not my aunt. My aunt weaved into her act. Right in the middle of her act, she said, and this part was true, she went to Barnard, and she majored in English. So she said, I went to Barnard, I majored in English, and I always thought about being a journalist. I have the utmost respect for journalists. I think they're the greatest people ever. In fact, I hear there are a lot of journalists in the audience. Will all the journalists stand up so we can give you a round of applause? 
two people stood up. So she said she went back later and, and basically reamed that guy. And at the time, she was friends with George Carlin and Woody Allen and Barbara Streisand and Bill Cosby. And she said, I'm going to tell all these guys, you know, that we can't trust you and, you know, they're going to not play your – so so I learned don't take any crap and, and uh, you know, you always have to be on your toes. I was very impressed with, with that story. Very she impressive. was young. She was just starting out. Uh, not surprising. She did so well, and she did so well, you know, in a tough environment to be a comedian back then. Dr. Weiser, thank you very much. Uh, you shared some very important information for our physicians. And uh, for those of you who may have joined the program midway or you want to hear more about it or missed any of the discussion, please visit ReachMD.com slash Primary Care Today. You can download the podcast. You can learn more on the series. And I want to thank you for listening. <laughs>